as a way of introduction, if you don't know me, as Jacob said, my name's Tim Hayes, and my family and I have been coming to the Bridge Church for about a year and a half. Um, I've been a follower of Jesus since I was a kid. Um, I I made a profession of faith when I was six, and then when I was 16, I kind of had a crisis of faith. I didn't, you know, doubted, did I really give my heart to Jesus, and so I did it again, and um, which one was the real one? Honestly, I don't know. Um, but I know I know him, and so I don't really care. Uh, I'm just glad to know Jesus. But I knew from those early days that I wanted to serve Jesus with my life. But he had a, a pretty meandering path for me and my family. And so I didn't get involved in ministry until, uh, until 20, 000, 2015. Um, got on staff at Encounter Church in Arnold, Missouri, um, which is a suburb of St. Louis. Uh, started serving there with um, the pastor who had been uh, the music director of the church where I grew up. And so um, ended up on staff there as um, an associate pastor and uh, was serving alongside people that I loved, doing work that I loved, serving people that I loved for the king that I loved. And so it was a great time, great year. We loved it, saw God do some amazing things. Um, my oldest brother came to know Jesus, and he was a man who had run from Jesus for decades, and we saw him get saved, and um, I tell you what, man, he's the real deal. If you ever, like, you meet him, it's just, just, Jesus just changed his life, you know. But like with many of you, 2020 brought uh, some pretty drastic changes for our family. I'm getting some feedback. Are you hearing feedback? What am I doing wrong? Nothing? Okay. Okay, I told Jacob if I was, you know, messing up the microphone to interrupt me, so. Um, 2020 brought a lot of changes for us. As we navigated the pandemic and everything that was going on there, um, we recognized that the job that Heather was working um, wasn't bringing in what we needed, and there were some questions about what we were going to do, and so we began to talk through, like, you know, what are our next steps, what are we going to do, and um, something that was very unusual for us happened. And that was that we had a pretty good argument. You know, that doesn't happen with us very often. This wasn't like a little bickering, a little spat. Like, we had a pretty good, pretty good argument. And it ended with something else that's also pretty unusual, and that is that Heather gave me a very forceful, very direct opinion. Usually she takes my lead on things and kind of lets me, you know, direct how our family goes. And on this particular day, she looked me straight in the face and said, you are acting like a haze and you're not listening to me. <laughs> and I wish I could tell you that I handled that with just extreme godliness. <laughs> I did not. I stormed out of the room and I went back and just in a fury, just, mm, I can't believe she would say something like that to me. And how can she be so pig-headed about this? And as I prayed through it, God told me I needed to listen. And so I went back out to her and I said, listen, I still think you're wrong, but I want you to know that I value your opinion and you're being heard. And so as a sign of good faith, I'm going to take 24 hours to fast and pray over what you've said. And so in that time period, we started to fast and pray about what God would have us to do and was Heather right about what she said, and she was, of course. Um, But uh, in that 24 hours... God began to lift up our eyes to the future. And I remember talking to my oldest brother, the one that I mentioned earlier, who was my oldest brother, but my baby brother in the faith, and 
And he spoke with the voice of the Holy Spirit in a phone call, and he said, do you ever think that maybe the reason that you're having a hard time finding direction is because you've already done everything God wants you to do here? Maybe it's time to move on. So I called Heather, and I said, Gary just said this to me. Man, it wasn't him. It was the Holy Spirit. I think God's calling us to move out of Missouri. And Heather's response was, yeah, I've known that for months. I've been waiting for you to catch up. (laughs) Great. And just for the record, the thing that we argued about was whether or not she should go back to school and get a degree. Um, She's one year from finishing her degree. So... uh, so we told our church family, uh, our church leadership first, that uh, you know, we believed God was calling us away, and uh, we were going to step out in faith and do what he called us to do, and so we expected that it would be a pretty fast move, and so we began preparing, looking for what God had for us, and we entered into a period of months of waiting. Like, okay, you said go, we're ready to go, what are we doing? And we waited. And we waited to the point where we felt silly. Like, friends are asking us, like, is God moving you guys? Your kiss is as good as mine, man. I thought he was. But in that period of waiting, God invited us to answer the question, what do we really want out of our lives? And so Heather and I had an opportunity um, on a vacation um, to talk through what do we really want out of our lives? And we came to the conclusion, and we're both on the same page, we both believe that the return of the king is very, very near. And we want to be part of mobilizing the church to complete the Great Commission. And so Second Peter 3.12 says, not only are we waiting for the Lord's return, but we're hastening the day. And that's what we wanted to do. And then about that same time, there was a commercial airing on TV for a Facebook documentary on Tom Brady's career. And at the beginning of the commercial, Tom Brady said this, what are you willing to do and what are you willing to give up to be the best you can be? We only have so much energy and the clock is ticking on all of us. If you're going to compete against me, you better be willing to give up your life because I'm giving up mine. And I came face to face with the reality that if I was really honest about it, I don't think I loved Jesus as much as Tom Brady loved football. And so God challenged us with those questions, and they became became guiding questions for us in that season. What do we want, and what are we willing to give up for it? And those are the same questions I'm going to challenge you with this morning. What do you want, and what are you willing to give up for it? We're going to look at the life of Abraham in Hebrews 11, and how he walked in faith, and man, he had those questions nailed down. He knew what he wanted, and he knew what he was willing to do for it. We're just going to kind of go verse by verse. I'm going to make my seminary professors gasp. Um, I'm not going to do the standard, like, three points and, uh, you know, just going to go verse by verse commentary style, if that's okay, Um, and just see what we can learn from the life of Abraham. So if you, uh, Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. That's a pretty cool jump right off the bat. You know, this dude gets called, he goes. Um, But like Caleb did for us last week and Daniel before that, it's really helpful if we go back to the original story. 
you know, it's easy for me to assume you all know the story. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe if you do, it's good for a refresher. So if we go back to Genesis 12, that's where the story takes place. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, and don't get thrown off by that. He was called Abraham at that, or Abram at that time. His wife was called Sarai, and God changed their names later to Abraham and Sarah. Uh, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And so we read the story of, um, of uh, Abraham and who he was and what God called him to do, and it's a pretty amazing kind of thing. And the context of this story, you know, if you know the story of Genesis leading up to this, the way this whole thing started was, you know, God created the original people. Um, they were tricked into joining Satan's rebellion against God. Sin um, covered the whole face of the earth to the point that God decided to judge the earth with a flood. That was Noah's story. Daniel told us about that one two weeks ago. Um, and Noah was a pretty good dude. God saved him through that, but he still was a sinful person. And um, some of those things came to the surface after the flood, and we see that um, sin continued to fill the whole earth. In Genesis chapter 11, the people get together and they go, we got this great idea. We're going to build this great tower. We're going to get back to God this way, and we're going to make a great name for ourselves. And God went, mm, that ain't going to work for me, guys. And so he came down and put the kibosh on the project, and he split them up, and he confused their languages. And some scholars think that uh, we see in Deuteronomy 32 that it was at that time that um, some of the evil spiritual powers took control of individual nations. You know, and they all had their own, you know, their own basically God that they worshipped, not a real God, a little G-God. Um, but in Genesis 12, what we see is that where all the other nations were following after false gods, God went after one man. And he appeared to him and said, okay, here's the deal. I got, I got this plan. I'm going to bless you. It's going to be great. You know, you're going to be a great nation. I'm going to do this for you. And Abram says, great, what do we have to do? And God says, um, pick up your stuff and go. Okay, where are we going? I'll show you. I'll show you? Like, how would you feel about that if God appeared to you and said, hey, get up and go, and I'll show you where to go? Like, I like to put things in, in the maps on my phone. I like to put ways, like where am I going? I like to know before I leave. God says, get up and go, and I'll show you as you're going. But here's the trick to this, Abraham. The reason I'm doing this, and don't miss this in these verses, is so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All these rebellious nations that were following all these false gods, God intended to bless them through Abraham. That was the calling that he put on his life. In Hebrews 11.9, we see Abraham's response. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. 
Abraham didn't hesitate. He grabbed onto the promises that God made him, and he went out. And he lived in such a way. You know, he lived in tents. He was nomadic. Um, he didn't have you know, a, a place that he went to that he called home. He went out and he lived it so deeply that he considered his son and his grandson heirs of the same promise. Abraham went all in on this thing. God gave him a vision of what could be, and Abraham stepped into it completely. He pushed all of his chips into the middle and said, I'm not holding anything back. I'm getting up, and I'm going, and I'm following your promise. Verse 10 tells us, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This is kind of a foretaste of more of what's to come in the passage, but Abraham was looking for something. God had made him promises, and he latched on to them, and he said, this is what I want, the thing that God has promised, the place where God creates the home for me. That's what he wanted. But it wasn't just him. Verse 11 tells us that it was his wife, too. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. I see, it wasn't just Abraham. It was Sarah, too. If you read her story, you go back into Genesis 18. By this point, Abraham was 99 years old. God, God came and visited him and told him, uh, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. Now, we had Nick. I was 38. And there are some days where I'm like, man, I cannot keep up with this kid. I can't imagine what it would be like to be 99. And then, ladies... Anybody up for uh, some uh, golden girl's age child rearing? That sound like fun? Sarah's response was she didn't. Come on. She laughed. She heard God say it, and she was like, okay, whatever. And the funny thing was that God heard her, and God called her on it. Why are you laughing? And she said, I didn't laugh. <laughs> Sounds like one of my kids. Who left the ranch on the table? We didn't leave the ranch on the table, right? Yeah. Um, but God's simple answer was, yeah, you did. And that was where the conversation ended. Yeah, you did. Sarah didn't believe. But what we know from this verse is that somewhere along the way, she stopped and considered who it was who made the promise and his power to keep his promises. And because she believed, she received the power to conceive. Because she considered God faithful, he made it possible for the promise to happen through her. And this jumps right into verse 12, and this is so important. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many of the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, I have a friend back in St. Louis in our church in St. Louis. His name was Ron, and Ron was a victim of a shooting accident, and Ron can't walk, and so he's in a wheelchair. But Ron is a lover of Jesus. And Ron, one of his favorite things was always to say, when he saw that word, therefore, he would say, you've got to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? You know, it's a word that points back. You know, it's kind of a cause and effect relationship because of this, this, considering these things, this is true. In light of this, we know that this happened. 
And that's what that word therefore calls us to do. Because of everything that we've read here about the faith of Abraham and Sarah passed on to Isaac and Jacob, because of their faith, God made amazing things happen. One man as good as dead came innumerable people. This is so very important for us. It's a truth of the Christian life that if you want to see God do amazing things in your life, God requires for you to participate. For whatever reason that we don't understand, God typically doesn't move without our, our involvement. And some of you right now are probably going like, wait a minute, are you saying that God relies on us to drop it? No, 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 no nothing like that. Like, we know who God is. God can do whatever he wants to. He has all the power. But for whatever reason that we don't understand, God likes to see us get involved. He likes to work through us. C.S. Lewis put it this way. God seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. God could work without us. He just typically doesn't. If we want to see God do something in our lives, if we want to see God's promises come to fruition, we've got to get involved. Abraham and Sarah got involved. You know, they had a lot of stuff to do to see this happen. They had to get up and they had to move. Not to be crass, but for them to see a son involved. Like, it wasn't enough for Sarah just to go, okay, I know God can do it. Like, Abraham and Sarah had to go, like, act like married people. They didn't. There were no children. They had to get involved in God's promises. God wants us to be involved, and, and he calls us into that. Verse 13, and I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. Daniel said, you know, whenever you, you go up, you can choose whichever person you want. And I chose Abraham, and it wasn't because Abraham. Like, Abraham, you're great. It was because of this next paragraph. Because this next paragraph is just, it's an amazing vision that Abraham had. Verse 13 starts out, These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now stop and think about what that verse tells you. God made these people, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, he made them promises. And they came to the end of their lives and they died without having the promises fulfilled. Stop and think about that for a second. How does that make you feel about God? Does it bring up worry? Is God going to make me promises that I'm not going to see fulfilled? Does God keep his promises? But the verse doesn't say he didn't keep his promises. What it said was that they saw them from afar only having greeted them from afar. Abraham came to the end of his life and lay on his deathbed. He had invested his entire life. Reorient, you know, Daniel said this back in the first week. Faith, we re reorient our entire lives around faith. And that was exactly what Abraham did. He knew what he wanted. He followed after the promises of God, and he went all in on it. And he got to the end of his life having lived that way 
and he lay on his deathbed without having his promises fulfilled, and he was content. Why? Because he had seen and greeted the promises from afar. He trusted that God was true to his word and that he would keep his promise. And this is actually really, really great news because what it means for us is that our God is big enough to make and to keep promises that are too big to be fulfilled in one lifetime. Abraham recognized that he was a stranger in exile on the earth. It's kind of an odd phrase, you know, and maybe not so odd around here, you know. Nobody from Hilton Head's actually from Hilton Head. I think Owen's about the only person that I know that's actually from South Carolina, right? Yeah, born and raised. <laughs> I'm not, I'm from St. Louis, and I could probably point to any, like, Brad, where are you from? Virginia. Virginia. Jacob? Yeah, like, we could do that. Like, everybody's from everywhere here. But strangers and exiles, like how many of you like call yourself a stranger and an exile? That was how Abraham looked at it. That was how he taught his children to look at it. Strangers and exiles on the earth. And verse, verse 14 says, people who speak this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. You see, he did that because they were looking for something more. But make no mistake, when it says homeland, it's not just talking about a place to set up shop. Like they could have done that anywhere. They could have planted their flag anywhere along the way. They could have gone back if they had wanted to. Verse 15 tells us that. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Like if the homeland that they were seeking was just simply a place to set up shop, to have a headquarters, a place to be comfortable, they could have done that anywhere along the way. They were looking for something bigger. They were looking for the place where God kept his promises. I told you some of our story earlier, excuse me, about how we um, stepped out in faith to follow God's call. And it was a tough year that we spent looking for what God had for us. In the early summer of 2021, uh, we got in contact with a church on Hilton Head Island. And they invited us to come out and for me to become the new pastor of the church. And I was going to replace the, the pastor who was retiring. And we prayed and fasted through it. And we went, yep, this is the right place. This is the right move. And so we came. And over the course of the next four months, it became readily apparent that uh, we weren't a good fit. Um, some theological differences somehow got through the interview process. And so over the course of four months, we came to the place where we realized this isn't going to work. And all the questions surface, you know, like, did I hear God right? Did I mess this up? Did I do something wrong? It was hard. You know, we left on good terms with the church. I still on occasion have lunch with the pastor that I was supposed to replace. Uh, so there was no animosity. But we got here. And we watched our life crash and burn in front of us. We stepped out on faith. And it didn't go well. St. Louis was looking really good. We could go back, pick up our life that we left behind. Yeah, one of my daughters is looking at me right now going, why didn't we? Yeah, good question. 
I'm glad you asked, because I want you to hear this too. Why wouldn't you go back? There's a reason. And it's because we came out here following Jesus. If what we wanted was in St. Louis, we could have gone back. But the promises, following Jesus, what, what he had for us was here. I'm sure I'm going to have some friends from St. Louis, you know, watching, watching this today. And, uh, you know, love you all, and I miss you. But for me to go back to Egypt, or me to go back to St. Louis would be going back to Egypt. And I'm not saying that St. Louis is Egypt, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with the church that we left. What I'm saying is that for us, it would be moving backwards in our faith. We followed God out here because there was a call. One morning in November of 2021, I was taking the girls to school. And on the way back, I stopped, to, or I was listening to uh, the scripture being read on my Bible app, and it came through this passage, and this verse came up. If they, you know, full of her wondering what happened, all the questions, did I screw this up? Did I ruin everything? And came across this verse. If they had wanted to go back, they could have. And I had tears in my eyes. And then they read the next verse. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You see, this is the secret sauce of what Abraham had and what he wanted, what he taught Isaac and Jacob and, and what Sarah wanted too. They were looking for a far better country. Jesus called them into more, invited them into more. He invites us into more too. And as I heard that verse, it galvanized my faith. Like we could go back, but it would be retreat. God would still be with us. He'd still love us. But if we want to walk in faith and do what he's called us to do, it's here. Didn't know what that looked like, but we're going to do it. It's the same thing that Abraham did. He could have gone back at any time, but he said, I'm going to pursue the promises. He wanted a far better country. You see, that's the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel is that not just that you can be saved. I mean, that's important. But the promise of the gospel is that the great king who created the earth is pushing back against darkness. And he has reclaimed all authority. He has made a way for us to be saved. And if you choose to get in line with what he's doing, if you, you can be forgiven. You can be on the good side and you can see him return things to the way that they're intended to be. See, I think there are two things that keep us from pursuing in faith you know, what God has for us. And it can, we can be beaten down or we can get complacent. You know, beaten down is for people who have been through hurt after hurt after hurt. You know, it could be something serious. It could be, um, you know, that divorce you're going through, the losing your job, not knowing how you're going to make ends meet. Um, that medical diagnosis, any number of things. It could be something as simple as just 
death by a thousand emotional paper cuts. Part of the problem that, you know, that we deal with is when we talk about how we get beaten down, it's really easy for us to go, well, things could be worse. I could have that guy's problems. And that's true. It could be worse. It could always be worse. But when we're not honest about the things that we're going through, those are places that Jesus can't come in and heal. And that was part of his ministry. You know, when he came into the temple and uh, read from Isaiah, Isaiah 61, you know, declared that this is the kind of ministry that I'm here for. Part of that passage in Isaiah 61 was to bind up the brokenhearted. You know, part of what Jesus brings to us is healing and restoration. And if we're not honest about those things, can't heal them. I read a really interesting book last year, and some of you that I'm close with, I've told you about this story. Um, it's a, a lady who is a researcher, um, and she was studying what is it that makes tough people tough? You know, how do they keep going on, keep moving forward? And she cited this really, really interesting study from the 1970s. And in this study, um, they had two enclosed kennels with dogs in them. And periodically, a buzzer would sound, and when the buzzer sounded, they would start doing electric shocks in the kennels. The two kennels were identical except for one thing. One of the kennels had a button. And if the dogs went over and pushed the button with their nose, shock stopped. They found something really interesting. When they took all of those dogs and put them in one kennel that didn't have a ceiling on it, and they did the same experiment, the buzzer started. The dogs that had been in the kennel with the button jumped over the sides to freedom. The dogs who had been in the kennel without a button laid down and whimpered. Makes some pretty staggering implications about how um, suffering without hope affects how we live. It's learned helplessness. Some of you might be feeling that way. I know I've felt that way before. If that's you, Jesus has a message for you. It is, son, daughter, I know this is hard. But I'm here to walk through it with you. I won't leave you, and I won't forsake you. But you've got to participate. You've got to take part in what I'm doing, so I need you to get up and walk with me. We can be beaten down or we can be complacent. And complacent's the other side of that coin. You know, it's super, super easy in this culture for us to get complacent. I work now selling insurance, and I mean, I see all the time multi-million dollar homes, Porsches, Teslas, uh, Maseratis, boats, all kinds of stuff. And it's like super easy for us to get really comfortable in this culture. But it doesn't have to be extreme riches that get us comfortable. It can be something that's like, what are you using to medicate? You know, like when you have that downtime and, and you just can't anymore, like game you're playing on your phone, your Facebook feed, maybe a little too much to drink. What's the thing that you're using to medicate? It's super easy to get comfortable in this culture. It's like the land of the lotus eaters um, from Homer's Odyssey. If you've read that or if you remembered it, and maybe you read it when you were in school or that sort of thing. It's a story of the Trojan War. And at the end of the Trojan War, Odysseus takes his men, and the Odyssey is the story of their voyage back home. 
And what should have been a simple cruise turned into like a 10-year marathon. And in the story, they fight all kinds of mythical creatures, and they do all these different things. But in one scene, they come on the land of the Lotus Eaters. They land on an island that has these people. Everybody's peaceful. Everybody's happy. Seems like paradise. Seems pretty great. And what Odysseus realizes is that the reason that everybody's peaceful and happy is because they're all eating this lotus flower, and they're forgetting everything. And Odysseus sees his men starting to eat the lotus flower and fall under this stupor. And he's like, whoa, whoa, guys, guys, no, 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 no. We can't, like, my wife and my son are that way. What good is this island without them? See, they were forgetting what was important to them. And man, if our culture isn't like that, like, why would we want more when we have everything here? Got luxury, got comfort. Gosh, we have to remember that this isn't our home. God has a lot more for us than this. So if you're finding yourself being complacent, Jesus has a message for you too. And in the gentle way that he does, he tends to say, son, daughter, I love you, and I do want you to be happy and blessed. But this is not the time and the place to sit back on your laurels. I didn't bless you so that you could get fat and lazy. I blessed you, like Abraham, so that you can be a blessing to other people. And I've been there too. Maybe you're complacent, maybe you're beaten down, but either way, Jesus invites us into, the more, into more. And the promise of the gospel is that Jesus rules and reigns, and that he invites us to join into that. You see, Abraham and Sarah had promises, and we have promises too. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom the gospel that tells us that he rules and reigns and that he's going to return again, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to every corner of the earth and then the end will come. Hey guys, we get the job done, we get to go home. Matthew 19, Jesus' disciples said, oh, we've given up everything for you, what do we get? And you know what Jesus said to them? He said, if I can find the spot, um, <laughs> Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. And I don't think for a minute that this is like a mathematical formula. Like you give up one house for Jesus, he's going to give you a hundred in eternity. But if you give up two houses, he's going to give you two hundred. This is a picture of unimaginable blessing. And that word, that word there, in the new world, in the Greek, it's, it's a... Um, brain's not working. It, it, it's a, um, two words joined into one. You know, like we say fire truck. It's, it's a truck, but not a normal truck. And it's certainly not a fire. But if you say fire truck, everybody knows it's a truck that fights fires. Well, the word in the Greek here is palingenesia. Palin meaning again or anew, and Genesia being the word for Genesis. Guys, Jesus said, in the Genesis again, like the, the promise that we have there is that Jesus is going to return, 
and make this world back into what he intended it to be in the first place without the curse. And when he does so, those of us who have followed him will receive unimaginable rewards. And then in Revelation 21, we have this beautiful picture where John saw the new Jerusalem coming out, you know, new heavens and new earth, everything new. And it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and I will be among them as their God. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then he's going to wipe away every tear. No more pain. No more crying. No more death. Because the old things have passed away, and then mm, as it's to seal the promise, he says, behold, I am making all things new. Like, what drives you? What do you want? Those are, like, look, if you are a follower of Jesus, those promises are your birthright. What drives me? It's very simple. I know. Scripture tells us that, tells us that the day is going to come when we are going to stand in that city that Abraham was looking for, and we will see the glory of God revealed. Everything new. That day, just as sure as I am standing here, that day will come when I stand there with my wife and my children, my dad who's already gone on to eternity, and my mom and my brothers, the sister that I've never met because she died before I was born. We're going to stand there and we're going to be able to look over and go, I think that's C.S. Lewis talking to J.R.R. Tolkien over there. Anybody seen Grandma Thornsberry? Oh, yeah, she went over to talk to Billy, uh, Billy Graham because that was her hero. Who's that guy on the dais over there? His face is shining. I don't know, but from the way his face is shining, it's got to be Moses. And as we're drinking all this in and just the wonder of the conspicuous absence of evil, like everything's perfect, everything's right. The heralds will take up the call and say, open up the gate so that the king of glory can come in. And we will watch God the Father lead Jesus in and lead him up and crown him king. And the roar of evil defeated and people saying Jesus is Lord will usher in the, the life that we've always wanted. And then we're going to go to the wedding supper of the Lamb, and we're going to meet with all the people that we've been missing. And I'm going to see Champ Callahan and Luke Holder and Becky Mann and Steve Metropolis and Alan Hunt and Daniel Kazanabe and Ray Schmidt and all the people that I personally have fought alongside for the sake of the gospel. And we're going to swap stories and talk about the goodness of God and how he rescued us in countless endeavors. And the wine's going to flow, and there's going to be dancing. Guys, we are going to show Van Halen what it means to dance the night away. And we are going to experience all eternity in the presence of God. That is the promise that drives me. And it's the promise that drove Abraham. What's the promise that drives you? And what are you willing to give up for it? You go through the rest of the passage, you see that Abraham offered up Isaac. Didn't make sense, but he did it because God told him to. Isaac blessed his sons. Jacob blessed Joseph's sons. Joseph said, listen, guys, when we come out of Egypt, don't leave me here. Take my bones. All these people did these crazy things because they held on to God's promises and they knew what they were looking for. And so just a few takeaways here. What do you do? Like, it's really easy to talk about like, the goodness of the kingdom to come, but what do you do now? Like tomorrow when you have to go back to work, what do you do? 
Well, the first thing, very simply, is answer that question. What do you want? Are these the promises that are driving you? Do you want to see the kingdom come? Do you want to see Jesus return? If you do, go all in for it. If you don't, well, maybe you should talk with Jesus something about that. Like, why don't I want those promises? And I say this gently. Take the words of Paul. Test yourself. See whether you're in the faith. I'm not saying you're not saved, but I'm saying maybe you should ask the question. And if you find yourself going, you know, I really don't want the kingdom, but I want to want the kingdom. Well, that's a really good start. Tell Jesus that. So that's the first thing. Answer the questions. Second thing, most important thing that you can do, the thing that we're all put here for anyway, just love Jesus. And I don't mean like do more stuff for Jesus. I think we have, you know, Western culture, we have this mindset. Um, like we, we read First John where it says, we, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And we go, okay, great, I've got to keep more commandments. Like, you should obey God, absolutely. But like, do you actually have affection for Jesus? Like when you think of him, do you like, man, I want to spend time with him. If Heather and I called you and said, hey, we're going to have dinner on Friday night and we're going to invite you over. He said, great, what are we going to do? Well, we thought we'd just put on some soft music and really just talk to Jesus and welcome him in. Like, do you go, right on, sounds like a great time. Or do you go, like, I thought maybe we'd play a game of categories or something. Like, yeah, my wife's laughing at me. Categories is old, I know. My kids are like, what's categories? Love Jesus. Develop an honest affection for him in your heart. Read your Bible, not because you have to or because it's the right thing to do, but because you just want to know Jesus better. You want to know who he is. Find things about him that you love. Like, I love Jesus because he's funny. I love Jesus because he's faithful. I love Jesus for a hundred different reasons, things that I've been through with him, words that he's spoken to me. Third thing, listen to what he has to say to you. You know, it'd be really easy to go, okay, so if we're supposed to finish the Great Commission, then I need to go to Uganda. And God told Abraham to go, so maybe I'm supposed to just go. Like, don't just go somewhere <laughs> and like, unless you're sure that God's calling you to it. Um, we need people in every walk of life. You know, not everybody can be Paul. Some of us have, you know, have to be teachers and garbage men and insurance salesmen, all sorts of things. And God needs people in all walks of life. And so listen to Jesus and do the thing that he's calling you to do. Because what he's calling you to do is different than what he's calling me to do. And by the way, are you, you aware that like, you're supposed to actually hear from Jesus? Like that's a normal thing. Um, and I found in my Christian walk that um, when people said like, well, how do you know what God's calling you to do? It's like, well, you read God's word. Yes, you should read God's word. That's important. But it's also intended that we're supposed to have like a conversational dialogue with Jesus. He speaks into our heart, that still small voice. Do what he tells you to do. Practice learning to hear what he's telling you. And do it. 
Like for me, at this season, it's being faithful in my job. It's helping Jacob lead a small group. Um, it's my buddy Ray and I, we do, now we're doing two, two times a year, we're doing men's retreats in the fall and the spring. Shameless plug, next one's the first week in November, if anybody wants to come. Um, you know, follow God into the things that he's calling you to do, because there are things that only you can do, I can't do, Daniel can't do, only you can do. Fourth thing, I forgot what my fourth thing was. Right? Yeah, two degree shifts. Like, don't try to go out and do everything all at once. Like, that's a good way to get discouraged. Like, find the next thing that Jesus tells you to do. You know, maybe if you look at it and you go, I just don't have the heart for God's promises the way that I should. Maybe the thing that Jesus calls you to do is just like, hey, get up 15 minutes earlier and spend some time in worship so that you really start to develop an honest affection for Jesus. Maybe that's the next thing. But if you try to be like, I'm Superman, I'm going to go do everything, I'm going to get up, I'm going to spend an hour in prayer and an hour in Bible study, and I'm going to witness to 16 people this week, you're not going to make it, and then you're going to be discouraged. Two degree shifts. Do the next thing that God's calling you to do. And then the last thing, don't give up. The Bible tells us we will um, reap a harvest in the appropriate time if we don't, go, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't give up. Like, this is a world, like we have an enemy who is coming at us, pushing us to give up. Don't give up. There are going to be times when you, you, know, you go back into your normal daily life, you leave church, sounds great today, you go into your normal daily life tomorrow, and it's hard, and it's discouraging, and it's easy to forget about the promises that God has made us. Don't give up. Whatever you're going through, take it to Jesus. Keep walking with him. Those little steps, little steps, keep going forward in your walk with Jesus. Don't ever give up. And he will develop in you the kind of faith that Satan can come against you. He can punch you. He can knock you over. He can beat you down. And you sit on the ground for a few minutes and crying and you're exhausted and you're bloodied and you're dirty. But you have the faith in God's promises. You can take a hand up from Jesus and stand back up and wipe off the sweat and the blood and the mire and you can look at Satan and go, I thought you'd do better than that. And my dad's going to get you. Don't give up. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we are so thankful for your goodness and your promises to us. Give us a vision for what you're doing in this world, for how you're bringing hope to people who need it, bringing the gospel, uh, the ability for people to know you, to come into a relationship with you. You're bringing that worldwide. God, open up our, our eyes and stir our hearts, stir our passion so that we love you and that we walk with you and that we're engaged in seeing your mission fulfilled. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.